Hello, everyone. My name is Aaron, and I'm reading today's scripture passage, which is Isaiah 19, 16 to 25. You can find it in the Pew Bibles on page 545. In that day, the Egyptians will be like women and tremble with fear before the hand that the Lord of hosts shakes over them. And the land of Judah will become a terror to the Egyptians. Everyone to whom it is mentioned will fear because of the purpose that the Lord of hosts has purposed against them. In that day, there will be five cities in the land of Egypt that speak the language of Canaan and swear allegiance to the Lord of hosts. One of these will be called the city of destruction. In that day, there will be an altar to the Lord in the midst of the land of Egypt and a pillar to the Lord at its border. It will be a sign and a witness to the Lord of hosts in the land of Egypt. When they cry to the Lord because of oppressors, he will send them a savior and defender and deliver them. And the Lord will make himself known to the Egyptians, and the Egyptians will know the Lord in that day and worship with sacrifice and offering. And they will make vows to the Lord and perform them. And the Lord will strike Egypt, striking and healing, and they will return to the Lord, and he will listen to their pleas for mercy and heal them. In that day, there will be a highway from Egypt to Assyria, and Assyria will come into Egypt, and Egypt into Assyria, and the Egyptians will worship with the Assyrians. In that day, Israel will be the third with Egypt and Assyria, a blessing in the midst of the earth, whom the Lord of hosts has blessed, saying, Blessed be Egypt, my people, and Assyria, the work of my hands, and Israel, my inheritance. This is God's word. Okay, here we are. can't believe this. Uh, last week, if you would have told me I'd be preaching this Sunday, I'd say no. <laughs> so, my name's Michael Aiken. I'm one of your pastor elders. And uh, before I say anything else, children that are... Uh, four years old up to first grade, I almost forgot, would you please, you have an opportunity to get a lesson that will be uh, at your level and you'll enjoy. So Carolyn, I forgot to mention that. We're having children's church right now. And they'll come back then during the song or after the songs. Yep. Well, I never thought I would be here. So I got a call from Pastor Ben on Wednesday and long story short, I'm up here And we're going to pray for him, and we're going to pray for Whitley. Uh, You'll see Pastor Ben later. He's going to be sharing some really exciting things with us about uh, a people group that will be reached, and uh, that's that's really exciting. But uh, Whitley's grandfather passed away this week, and they are in Georgia. So I ask you to... Remember them in prayer, especially today. The funeral is this afternoon, and uh, Ben will have a part in the graveside service. He'll be doing that service as well at the grave. So let's pray. Lord, we pause uh, on this Sunday where it is uh, joy to the world that we focus on. We, We focus on your amazing work that you're doing in the nations to make them glad, to be a blessing, to bring healing to the nations. And so we, we just pause and we, we just ask you to work in our midst, to work in our hearts, to confess our sins, uh, 
unto you, Lord, and to honor you. We thank you for the blood of Christ, the work of Christ. We thank you that if we confess our sins, you're faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And Lord, we, we implore and ask for your help for uh, the Bechtels and for Whitley's family in particular, that you would bring comfort, that the good news of Christ would be proclaimed. Thank you for answering our prayers, Lord. Help Pastor Ben as he does the graveside, and we pray that you would use him and we just pray for you to bring healing to that family and for your working in their midst. We thank you, Lord, for our, our ministry partner that was highlighted for us this morning, the Aguilars, Christian and Jimena, and we ask you, Lord, to encourage them, encourage their children, and uh, we ask you, Lord, to cause that church to grow and to be a strong outreach where the gospel is preached and where people come to hear and know you for the first time and that they would be disciples of you following you, Lord. And now teach us, Lord. Grow us as your disciples. Give us your heart for the nations, your heart for lost people. Give us that, Lord, we pray. And be our teacher. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I wonder how many of you went to the beach this summer. I have not gone to the beach this summer, but, and even if you haven't gone this year, I would assume that you maybe one time have been to the ocean, and, and I'm going to show you what a kid I am. I, I, I think if I had the opportunity today, I would do it. At 60 years old, I shouldn't, I know. Go out there and ride the waves, you know. Get on that, that board that I would rent and try to find, you know, get out there and find a good wave to just come in on. And when you come in on that wave, you know, it's interesting. This doesn't happen all the time, but sometimes when you're done with that wonderful ride, you get hit with another wave. Have you ever had that experience? And then maybe another one, and you're ducking, you know, because you could really, some of those could be really strong and hurt you. That's how this passage is in Isaiah chapter 19. Wave upon wave. You say, what are you talking about? Look at verse, nine, or verse 16, in that day. Did you notice that in that day, it starts five different waves. The first wave is a transitional wave. It's a wave of judgment. And that's in verses 16 and 17. And then we're going to get into waves 2 through 5 that are waves of blessing. So that being hit over and over. But in that day, it's actually six times in this passage. Because if you go, I believe it's verse 21. And the Lord will make himself known to the Egyptians. And the Egyptians will know the Lord in that day. So it's actually six times, but there are five waves. And so the question is, what is this? When does this occur? In that day. What is it? It's a time in the future. It, in that day is not a 24-hour period, but it's the day of the Lord. And it's the day of judgment and the day of blessing. 
It, a, a fancy word that may be used is the word eschatological, meaning it's something that's going to occur in the future. God is going to fulfill every promise that he's ever made. And so that's the one big thing I want you to see. It's going to occur at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are praying for the Lord to return. And when Jesus returned, who is God's only begotten son, he will return as he has promised. And he will return to judge and to bless. The other thing I want you to notice in this passage is the Lord himself. I think every time we read our Bibles, every time we hear a sermon, we should ask ourselves, who is God? Who is as he's revealed himself in this passage? And I want you to see that our Lord is, he is sovereign. He is the sovereign Lord over the nations. And his eternal purpose will stand and will be accomplished. And there is no human nation, no human people group that can stop God's plan and purpose that he has for this world and the nations. So, in history, what am I saying? God is sovereign and his will is being worked out even now. Even with what's going on around this world, the, the horrible things that we're hearing about Afghanistan, the things that trouble us and cause us to pray with concern. Uh, God is not passively waiting to see what, what we will do, what will happen. No, no, no. God, God has missions that are being worked out in redemptive history. And redemptive history... Is, is a period of time that spans from the fall of Adam, the first Adam, who represented us and failed us. That's why we're sinners. That's why we're under the wrath of God, because we're in Adam. But from that fall of Adam to the coming of the second Adam, and this is why we have been living in the last days, because the second Adam has come. The second Adam is the Lord Jesus Christ. He has already come. And he is coming again. The first time he came for redemption to die as the king, as the suffering king, to die for his people. And he's done that. And now we're to proclaim that good news tirelessly until he returns. And so the last in that day is referring to the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. The other thing I want you to see about our God in this passage, not only is that he is sovereign in control of everything, but also that he is our great God and he is our good God. It's like uh, the prayer I had to learn as a child before I would eat. God is good. God is great. Let us thank him for this food. Amen. That, that's a great prayer. That really shows us who the Lord is. He is great. And he is good. His greatness is seen in his power. He is almighty. He is the Lord of hosts. And then his goodness is seen in his grace and his mercy to us sinners, all of us. His greatness and his goodness are seen in the healing of the nations. In wave number one, verses 16 and 17, we see the Egyptians in terror. They're trembling. You can see them just shaking in fear. Why? Because of the purpose that the Lord of hosts has purposed 
against them. And we don't like judgment, do we? But there is judgment because God is holy. And what all nations, what the United States of America needs to see, and they don't, we as a nation don't see this, is that we are accountable to a holy God and that we are in danger of judgment. We might think we can do it our own way and that we can build towers and do whatever we want and make a name for ourselves. But God's judgment is just. And our God is in control of all things. And he has planned a day when he will bring all nations under his judgment. Where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Paul was quoting there from Isaiah chapter 45 verse 23. I just quoted from Philippians chapter 2. But I want you to see who our God is in this passage. I want you to see his greatness reflected in his power to bring about judgment. There will come an end to this age. And then there will be the age of the Messiah, new heavens and new earth. And I say all this to encourage you and to not fear, not not to fear man, but to fear God who has the power to destroy both body and soul in hell, as Jesus has told us. People do not have that ability, so we should not fear people. But what do I do? What do you and I do? We fear people. We ought not to. The Lord alone is worthy of our worship and our devotion. I move to wave number two, which is in verse 18. And for these next four waves, I want you to see something very astonishing, something that is shocking. The Egyptians, this is it, I want you to catch this. The Egyptians who were God's enemies and not his people turned to the Lord and are now called God's people. We're going to see this in different ways in the next four waves. But let us read wave number two in verse 18. It says, In that day there will be five cities in the land of Egypt that speak the language of Canaan and swear allegiance to the Lord, to Yahweh, to the Yahweh of hosts, to the God, the Lord of hosts. One of these cities will be called the city of destruction. This may be the city of the sun, where the sun god, Ra, the Egyptian sun god, Ra, was worshipped. The Egyptians will repent of this idolatry, this false worship of finite gods. Remember, all of creation is limited. It is finite. God is infinite. He is without limit. He is worthy of our worship. He is uncreated. Everything else is created. It's beautiful. But we ought not to worship it. But what do we do? We worship the creation rather than the creator. But the Egyptians in this wave number two will repent of this idolatry. And they will turn to the only true and living God. And I say this is shocking. I think it was very shocking to the original readers of this. But in another way I could ask the question, is it really shocking? When we look at Scripture, if we really read our Bibles closely, do we not see that 
God has promised this all along, that his blessing would be, that his salvation, that his healing would be not just for one people group, but for all people groups. What we're going to see in these next couple waves is covenantal language, but I'm getting ahead of myself. I wanted to quote Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 6, where what we see is a great mystery in Jesus Christ, where all the Gentile nations, for every true believer in Christ, we are now one body. Listen to this, Ephesians 3, 6. That the Gentiles who are fellow heirs, members of the same body. Paul says this is a mystery that's been revealed to him. So these Gentiles are now fellow heirs. That's you and I. Members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Jesus Christ through the gospel. So as I say... We are now one people in Christ. But as we look at the next couple ways, we're going to see covenantal language. And a covenant is how God, our creator, relates to us. He binds himself and he binds us by what he says. And one of the basic promises of the covenant, there's there's many, but the two or three basic ones are these. That God will be our God and we will be his people. That's number one. Number two, another big promise is that God will forgive our sins. And thirdly, he will write his law on our hearts. This is all found in the the new covenant, Jeremiah 31, verses 33 through 34. And that is just not for Israel. That's going to be for all nations who will believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. In this second wave, when it says that the Egyptians will speak the language of Canaan, it is pointing to the Hebrew language. And it shows their conversion to the true God. This is also pointing to the Tower of Babel. What did we see at the Tower of Babel? There was one lip, one language, one tongue, And what were they doing? They were building this tower. They were moving up. But they were moving up to worship the finite gods that they bowed down to, who are not worthy of worship. And what does God do? He comes down in judgment. But it's a merciful thing. But why was that wrong? Why was that? Well, number one, they were trying to make a name for themselves. And they were defying what the Lord clearly told them. He said in Genesis chapter 9, verse 1, that they were to fill the earth. They defy that. They sought to build this tower upward as a place of worship. God comes down, confuses their languages, and that's why we have to this day different people groups. But what do we see in the day that this is going to happen? There's going to be one language here where they're going to be praising God, worshiping God together, and these Egyptians are enemies who are doing this, but now they're friends. Now they're fellow worshipers. And so it's just fascinating to see how what, what God does, he reverses. Even with the day of Pentecost, we see there's many tongues there that are spoken, but now through the Holy Spirit coming upon the church, we see that these many languages are praising God. Let's move now to the third wave. This third wave is the longest. I'm not going to spend much time on it. But in verses 19 through 22, we see in verse 19 that there will be an altar to the Lord in the midst of the land of Egypt. This shows that they've converted to the Lord. And it's a pillar. 
There's going to be a pillar to the Lord, to Yahweh, at the border. It will be a sign and a witness to the Lord of hosts in the land of Egypt. When they cry to the Lord because of oppressors, this kind of harkens back to the day of the judges, but it's not the Israelites who are being alluded to here. It's the Egyptians. So they're kind of going through exactly what the, through the period of the judges. They cry out to God. They, they're being oppressed. God will send them a savior and a defender and deliver them. That's who our God is. He's a savior. Isaiah, the word Isaiah means Yahweh is salvation. And the Lord will make himself known. Verse 21, it says, he'll make himself known to the Egyptians and the Egyptians will know the Lord in that day and worship with sacrifice and offering and they will make vows to the Lord and perform them. Verse 22 is a good summation of this whole chapter 19. It says, and the Lord will strike Egypt. That's judgment. And you and I don't like judgment, but that's, that's important that God, because God is holy, he will judge. But then God brings healing and blessing. So we see striking in verse 22 and healing, and they will return to the Lord, and he will listen to their pleas for mercy and heal them. All of this is fulfilling God's covenant promise to Abram, where he said to Abram, In Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, Abram, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God has promised that, and God is fulfilling that. I believe there's an already feature to what we're reading here. God is already calling a people to himself from all nations. There is one church. There is one body. Now we move to the fourth wave. And we see here a picture of peace with the image of a highway going from one enemy nation, Assyria, to the other enemy nation, Egypt. Do you notice that? And don't get caught in like a literal highway. Is it going to be a, you know, a 12-laner or what, you know, how big, you know, is it going to be asphalt or cement or what, you know, don't get caught into those details there's going to be travel back and forth why because they are now fellow worshipers they're now brothers and sisters in christ they're worshiping yahweh together they're worshiping our triune god father son and holy spirit those who were once enemies are now friends that's what the gospel does people groups that war against one another as we had our call to worship they are now not warring this is going to be in the future we don't see that now we we yearn and long for that day and the lord does this through the gospel he brings unity through the gospel when the gospel is preached it calls you and i people to repent of our idolatry and to worship the one true and living God. We turn from our sin, we turn to the Savior. That's repentance. Jesus, when he spoke to the Samaritan woman, they were debating about worship, and she was questioning Jesus. And Jesus said this to the Samaritan woman at the well. Believe me, said Jesus, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem Will you worship the Father? 
You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here, said Jesus, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. The woman said to Jesus, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. That's amazing. Jesus is saying, I am the Messiah. This is clear. The Samaritan woman, what she do? She then goes into the town of Samaria and tells everyone, everyone that she can She tells him about Jesus, saying, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? We learn that many Samaritans came to believe in Jesus because of this woman's testimony. And this is what the Bible tells us here. John writes this in chapter 4 of John, verse 39. Many Samaritans from that town believed in Jesus, believed in him because of of the woman's testimony. What was that testimony? He told me all that I ever did. I just want to pause and stop here and say, you know, don't diminish the few words. You might feel inadequate. I might feel inadequate. We need to train, get trained. We need to share the gospel the best we can. But just simple words of how God has changed your life, the gospel, who Jesus is, that he is the way, the truth, and the life that you're sharing that, that you're outspoken about being a follower of Jesus Christ, don't diminish that. God will use that to bring people to himself. I want you to now see the fifth and the last wave. It is like icing on the cake of God's blessing. It is the closing benediction on the nations. It's found, you'll see, In the last two verses, verses 24 and 25, what we see is when God targets something, it happens. What is impossible with man is possible with God. I'm going to make this more personal as we move on. God is targeting the nations for healing, and we can be sure that it will come about. It is surprising that Israel's enemies, Assyria and Egypt, are now God's people. Notice that God calls them, what he calls them. They, along with Israel, are called a blessing in the midst of the earth, whom the Lord of hosts has blessed, saying, Blessed be Egypt, my people, and Assyria, the work of my hand, and Israel, my inheritance. Those are words reserved for God's people, and These have not been God's people. The Assyrians were enemies of God's people. So were the Egyptians. Do you believe, do I believe that God is going to bring this about? He is. He's almighty. He is a great God. He is a good God. He will bring this about. These are surprising and shocking works of God's grace. And so I'm going to personalize it now. Do you have people in your life that seem impossible to reach for Jesus Christ with the gospel. They just seem 
like no way. They're difficult to talk to. They are very committed to a particular way of life, a philosophy, a worldview, a very non-Christian worldview. They may be an atheist, an agnostic, an alcoholic. They may be very committed to a lifestyle of sexual sin. And they are hard of heart. They are not open to hear the gospel. I mean, you're afraid to bring up the subject. They may be a spouse, a child, a parent, a friend, a co-worker, a neighbor, an enemy. We should be encouraged that what is impossible with us is possible with God. I want you to hear that. All things are possible with God. What he is saying here is not an impossibility. You and I can maybe name people. I'm going to name someone that recently has reconnected with me, a young man who was difficult in many ways when I knew him 15 plus years ago. He professed Jesus, but then went off the rails, as we like to say. I was his tennis coach at the Christian school for at least a year, might have been two years. And then he left the school. He went into the Navy and then got involved with the wrong crowd. While he was in the Navy, he was selling drugs and was involved in an incident with a gun that was shot. He ended up in prison for at least two years, might have been longer. I reconnected with him through a phone call. He called me in May of this year. I was just amazed uh, what God had done in his life. It was a wonderful conversation. He asked if I would consider marrying him and his, his fiancée, and I met with them. Uh, I was willing. I was shocked that I was willing because I, I, just, I just didn't know what I was going to get into, but... I could tell through the phone call I had a good feeling, but then when I met with them, it was wonderful. And I'm just here to tell you that they are both committed to the Lord. They are faithfully following him. On July 30th of this year, I was able to uh, perform that marriage, and uh, 100 people were there, and it it was just wonderful. Um, This young man, though, is a trophy of God's grace. But I want to stop and pause and say that we are all trophies of God's amazing grace. Because left to ourselves, we would never repent of our sins. We love our sin in and of ourselves. We would never turn to the only Savior, Jesus, but we have by his grace. And I bring this up because we often think people are not going to repent. We, just like these nations, we think, oh, well, they'll never. Afghanistan... That nation, Al-Qaeda, those people will never turn to the Lord. They, God will bring about what he's going to bring out in his time. And I bring this up to encourage us. We might think they're not going to turn to the Lord. But don't give up in your praying for your lost friends. Don't give up in sharing the gospel with them. Pray for them regularly. We're trusting God to bring about genuine conversions to himself. 
And I believe at the proper time, God will bring that about. Not only in the people that we're trying to reach, but also to the nations. There will be a day of world peace. It won't happen with our current governments. None of them. Not until the Lord Jesus Christ returns. But until then, God has called us as his church to faithfully carry out this very clear mission found in Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. Listen to these words. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. Notice that. All the nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, says Jesus, I am with you always to the end of the age. Later, just a little later in our service here, we will learn of a new people group that our church will be supporting for gospel ministry. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your precious word. We thank you that you are great, that you are good, that you are a God who saves, that you have graciously saved us. We are unworthy and undeserving. Help us, Lord, to continue to see the amazing grace that has saved our souls. But Lord, keep us from being selfish and satisfied. May we, Lord, just spread the good news to everyone that you call us to, people that we are in touch with. May they hear that you are the way, the truth, and the life. May they be drawn to you, we pray. I pray for some maybe in here today that you would draw them to yourself. They may not know you, that they would repent and turn to Jesus. And now, Lord, as we continue to highlight some things of ministry in our church, may you be glorified as we continue to sing and give you honor and glory. In Jesus' name, amen.